Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Today, we're going to examine another parable of Jesus that some Bibles call the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Let's get right to it. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That was Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 to 27. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. As always, we'll begin with the space method. That's our handy little tool. Before we even try to get into interpreting scripture, we always like to look at the speaker, which is the SP, the audience, and the context, that's the A and the C, And that's before the E, which is, again, explanation or interpretation. So we always try to do that breakdown um, just to make sure that we're oriented properly before we just dive right into a scripture reading. Okay, Jordan. So today the speaker is Jesus. And jumping to the context, this is part of his famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, the sermon begins in Matthew chapter 5. And if we go back to the beginning of Matthew 5, we'll also see the audience there. We'll see it say, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, or hill or mount, and then after he sat down, his disciples came to him, he opened his mouth, and began to teach them. Now, we've discussed this before, but those words, quote-unquote, his disciples, and the fact that he was teaching them are key to remember. Yeah, that's right, because, you know, the crowds are there and listening, but Jesus isn't really speaking directly to them. He's teaching his disciples who represent those with a higher level of understanding. The crowds represent those with enough interest to listen to him, some who believed and some who were just curious. And you know, the comparison to the church today is a bit complicated because the crowds really represent Israel. You know, the disciples were Jewish, and Jesus Christ's ministry at that time was to Israel. And there is no church yet, and the age of grace hasn't yet begun. But we can compare this to the church using the basic concepts of gnosis, a Greek word meaning general knowledge about the things of God, and epinosis, a Greek word meaning higher knowledge about God, specifically in this case, knowledge of the Messiah and the kingdom. So we can look at it this way, Andy. The crowds had gnosis and the disciples had epinosis. So the Sermon on the Mount, at its deepest level, 
contains the zepinosis. Exactly. So now that we've considered this speaker, audience, and context, we're much better equipped to give an explanation. Let's break down this passage of Scripture. Matthew 7, verse 24 to 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now, Jonah, a few things do jump out right away. We need to know that the rock here is Jesus, of course. That's, he is our foundation. And, you know, we did a whole lesson on this. It was titled, Sorry, Mr. Johnson, but Jesus is the rock. And that was a reference to the actor Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, as some of you might know. So you could find that. You can uh, see it in the podcast archives on our website, which is 20mbs.org. Anyway, in that episode, we review all of the verses that show the type of the rock as being Jesus Christ. It's a type of Jesus. Also, I'd like to mention that if you look at Daniel, Old Testament reference here, Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 to 35, you'll see the story there of Daniel getting the vision as he tells the dream, interprets the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he speaks of the rock then coming down and destroy, destroying that large statue, which right. represents great kingdoms throughout the history of man, mm-hmm. which eventually all get destroyed by Jesus Christ because his future kingdom, the millennial kingdom, will trump all. Right. And another reference is in 1 Corinthians, New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and there we see that Jesus is considered the type to the Jews in the wilderness as the rock that Moses struck so that water would come out of that rock and people would receive sustenance to, to not be you know, thirsty, and then God provided water for them. And that, again, it says directly in verse 4 that Jesus was that rock. So going back to our verses today, a wise man builds his house on the rock. But let's go back to the beginning of the verse, and it reads, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. That's key. So question, Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation is by grace through faith, that it is the gift of God and not a result of works. Yet here we see works being required. Building is a work, and Jesus says they must act on his words. So Jordan, what's going on? What happened to the free gift that we Read always read about in Ephesians chapter 2? Yeah, it's a great question, and we always need to keep it in mind so that we can distinguish between what, what we call, what the Bible calls, the gift and the prize. So I have a two-part answer. First, we have to think back to the audience, which we mentioned when using our space tool. You know, these were Jews under the previous dispensation, which was a dispensation of works. Jews were saved, as Pastor Whipple used to always say, the founder of our ministry, on the, quote, layaway plan. They had to atone for their sins and sacrifice bulls and goats and other animals as a type or a symbol of the Messiah's future sacrifice. The grace part of their salvation was becoming adult members of the tribe of God's people, the Jews. Back then, this was the initial act of faith, right? You believed the Jews were God's chosen people and joined them if you were not already growing up in in one of those families, or you joined them as at 13 years old you know, um, through the upbringing culminating in a bar or bat mitzvah. And that happens today, by the way, and obviously in the Jewish religion, they still have bar and bat mitzvah, which is that act of becoming an official adult and member of the Jewish family. Yeah, and a quick note, Jordan, I know that Pastor Gary taught us this many years ago. It's according to Jewish tradition, even till today, like you mentioned, it's not until that 
that boy or girl receives their bat or bar mitzvah, that they actually become technically adopted into the family. Right. So before that, it's like they're raising a child, but then once they have their bar or bar mitzvah, it's actually when the family adopts that child as their own. Yeah, we, we did um, talk about that a little bit in a series called Adoption, Redemption, and Inheritance, because that's a key concept to understand the ancient uh, Hebrew ways um, to understand in the Bible, because the Bible does talk about this. So anyway, after that, after your bar bar mitzvah, it was works for your whole life, you know, constant atonement through the blood of sacrificed animals and keeping of the commandments. So that's the, basically the Jewish experience under the dispensation of the law. You know, Ephesians, on the other hand, was, was written to churches under grace. Many were Jewish, so they straddled these sort of two dispensations, the, the law and the age of grace. But many were also Gentiles, and their initial act of faith was turning from pagan gods and believing in the one true God and believing in Jesus. You know, they were saved the same way that we were saved. But that salvation is only the beginning. We should look at life after salvation the same way that the Jews did after their bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah. Works for our whole life are necessary, not for salvation, as in their time, because they were looking forward to Christ, but for qualification, for reward, looking forward to the kingdom. And that brings me to part two of my answer, Andy, the Apostle Paul's master builder analogy. This analogy pairs perfectly with today's scripture reading and is the key to understanding what the wise works that Jesus spoke about mean in practice for Christians today. Would you mind reading and commenting on that analogy? Absolutely not. It's actually one of my favorite Bible references that we always like to study. And I recommend that any of you out there who haven't done the study, please mark your Bibles. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. And I'll read it, pick it up in verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation. Now, quick note there, Jordan. Man cannot lay this or work to create this foundation. It's important to understand that. Here we see grace. It's salvation without works received by those who God calls to accept this truth. Right. So that laying of foundation that no man can build is the grace. It's the knowledge of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. Going on, other than the one which is laid, now notice that's past tense, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed. Side note, no one knows right now if the works that people are working are from the Holy Spirit or if they're from the flesh until they actually get tested by Jesus's refining furnace at the future Bema Seat. Right. It's very important to understand that. So again, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed. That's in the future. To be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And notice there's different types. There's consumable versus refinable works here. There's two categories. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And here, here's a, an amazing little point that a lot of people oversee. But he himself will be saved. I, re, I repeat, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So here, here we have it all in one place, what the rock or foundation is and how to build our house upon it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a perfect 
uh, section of scripture. As you said, it's one of your favorites, one of my favorites. And I really, I mean, we, we keep reading it and, and getting reminded or getting even new information every time we read it. So I highly yeah. recommend to our listeners that anytime you have this, because all these questions arise all the time, Andy, the thing we're talking about today, you know, what exactly does it mean, works versus grace? I just had a conversation on social media again with somebody who was a little confused on the point, and I always drive them right back to 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, because this master builder analogy that God gave to Paul and Paul gave to us is an amazing encapsulation of the entire doctrine of the kingdom. You know, it's a, a really good point. As you were speaking, I thought of it right away, is when Jesus in the book of Matthew speaks to Peter and he tells him, Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And to your point, if a person doesn't understand these kingdom truths that we're trying, that we're learning every day, and, and we're, we're trying to master and study on a daily basis, then we're trying to share that with the world. Right. If a person doesn't have their version or a copy of that key to unlock these truths, they'll read these verses over and over again and never understand them. Yeah, it's confu- it'll get confusing, right? Because you don't have the clear thinking. Okay, so going back to our scripture reading then in Matthew 7, now we're on uh, verse 26. It says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Verse 27, The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So to understand this, we have to remember again that Jesus is not speaking about his disciples. He's speaking to them, or to do that again with more emphasis, He's not speaking about his disciples. He's speaking to them. And you know, Jordan, this also includes today's audience, his disciples that hunger to know him intimately. And of course, our listeners are that example. Yeah, good point. So anyway, the the disciples had already laid their foundation. This is a key point by believing in Jesus. Obviously, they believed, they responded to his call. They were intimate uh, members of his inner circle. Well, all except one, obviously. Right, and you're referring to Judas, and you could find the details of that in John chapter 13. So Jesus is talking about the crowds who would hear that he is Messiah and reject that message. That's what he's talking about here. Not acting means not taking the step of faith required at this time to associate oneself with Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Remember, his message and the message of John the Baptist as well was repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is near, the Messiah is here. For further context and understanding, let's take a look at what it looked like to try building a house without faith in Jesus, the rock, as one's foundation. Andy, please read and comment on the story of the rich young ruler from later in Jesus Christ's ministry. Sure. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, and we're going to pick up in verse 18, and it reads, A ruler questioned Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal which is also age or eon life, by the way, not everlasting. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. A couple points, Jordan, just want to bring up about these verses. So here we see that this ruler had built a rich life of good works. He was a faithful Jew and followed all of the commandments. 
but he didn't have the right foundation. And when Jesus offered it to him, he rejected it. Now, the version of this story in Matthew 19 says the man went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And it's, it's you know, important to keep in mind what is grieving about. Well, I can tell you that one grieves when he loses something or when someone dies, someone that they cared for. Therefore, the question arises, maybe he did give away his property that's at one point, and that's why he was grieving. I don't think he was grieving, if you think about it, because he decided not to listen to Jesus because he was still a good Jew. He was a very good person. He was a great person. Right. But I think it's when he actually lost or gave away something, which was the accumulation of his forefathers and possibly his works, decided to listen to Jesus, sell everything, and then just bank on everything, you know, coming back to him when he goes to heaven. It's interesting. It's something to think about. So, you know, we know that there's a possibility that he rejected Jesus's offer to come and follow him because the cost was too high. Now, he didn't want to lose what he had built, but Jesus had taught in the Sermon on the Mount that without the right foundation, what you build won't survive the rain, the winds, and the floods of life. And of course, eventually, the house will fall. And as Jesus put it in Matthew 7, 27, great will be that fall. Good point. An interesting theory, Andy. Uh, I think, yeah, you could possibly read it that way. So either he was grieving because he knew he couldn't do it, or maybe he was grieving because he knew he had to do it. So I, I think it's uh, open to interpretation there. You know, Jordan, I tend to lean towards the theory that he actually did end up eventually succumbing to Jesus's request. I mean, a lot of people, like you said, it's open to interpretation because we don't know exactly what happened. But let's look at the facts here. Let's go back to Luke chapter 18. He was a ruler, and he approached Jesus, and he called him good. And Jesus went on to say, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Now, he was obviously someone who knew the scriptures because he was obedient to them. So you could say that he did have faith as he approached Jesus to say that you are God. Right. You know, or God-like, or godly, or you are from God, for him to say, good teacher. That's number one. And then secondly, his curiosity wasn't about how can I get rich, or how can I get healthy, or what have you. It was about what can I do to inherit age life. Right. Right? It was that kingdom kingdom life that he was curious about, because he's obviously at this point achieved what the world had to offer. And then he goes on to say, and God, Jesus would have knew right away if he was lying, because he says right away, well, look, I have followed the commandments. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered. I haven't stolen. In other words, everything he had, he earned the right way, right. the godly way, the hardworking way, you know, the way we teach our children, the way we learn in school, the, the way the world tells you to be you know, when it comes to your business. And then he goes on to say, you know, again, I haven't borne false witness. I've honored my mother and father. And Jesus, you know, agrees and says, you know, hey, there's one thing you do lack. And he was basically saying, if you want to make it to the millennial kingdom, everything you have here, like we mentioned earlier, is consumable. It's, it's, it's temporary. But there's something greater. You want to know about the millennial kingdom? Come after me and I will show you. So going back to the Matthew 19 version, when it says that he went away grieving, in my opinion, I don't think he was grieving because he was like, oh, shucks, you know, I'm not going to make it to heaven because that wasn't what the topic was. The topic was, I've achieved the most I can on earth. I want to achieve the most I can in heaven. Tell me what to do, good teacher or God, in my eyes, right? And I will do it. So in, in my opinion, the grief was that everything that he worked for, 
he realized that he was going to give it all away so that he can achieve the higher the higher level, which was to be with Jesus in his kingdom. Yeah, and to add to that, I think, you know, this may also be describing, in a sense, the the fleshly nature and the fact that, that it, it grieves against this, because what Jesus says next after this whole story goes down is it's, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, that, that whole thing. And then his disciples say to him, you know, um, how, then how can anybody, you know, be saved or get into the kingdom, basically? And Jesus says, you know, it's not possible with people, with man, with the flesh. It's right. only possible with God. With right. God, all things are possible. So I, I think that speaks to what you're saying. Like, as a man, you know, as a man torn between flesh and spirit, he was The old breathing. nature. Right, the old nature, correct. Okay, so let's just do some recap and takeaways now. We're almost out of time. Let's bring it back to us today. You know, because we grew up under grace and believed in Jesus Christ, we laid the proper foundation. We are all the wise men in the parable in that sense. You know, no rain, wind, or flooding can make our house fall. Jesus said once, um, we are in his hand, and we are also in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch us out of it. That's John 10, 27 to 30. Now, we need to worry about is fire. If we built, as the Apostle Paul taught, our house will be tested with judgment fire. If we built wisely using the proper materials, as you mentioned, that is doing good works that are judged to be gold, silver, or precious stones, our house will stand and we'll get rewarded. If we built foolishly using weak materials, the uh, combustibles, as you said, the wood, hay, and straw that represent works of self, our house will be burnt up. It won't fall because it can only burn down to the foundation, which is Christ. We will escape the fate of the foolish builder, but only as one escaping narrowly from a burning house. That is what the parable in Paul's analogy means, and that is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.